Phoenix Tales is a community celebrating everyday women overcoming extraordinary challenges in their lives, discovering the fire within, and like the phoenix, enduring the ashes to rise again. Each of you has a phoenix tale or a phoenix moment. As we create this community of women with grace and grit, share your own phoenix tale or your own phoenix moment on our website. We're honored to hear another story to welcome another phoenix. Today's guest is Kate Tellers, a staff member of The Moth who serves as the director of MothWorks. She is now also a published author of the recent book about storytelling from The Moth. Kate recounts how her mother's breast cancer diagnosis when she was 18 and her mother's eventual death 10 years later shaped her as an adult, but more importantly, helped her to find her life's purpose of showing how essential storytelling is in each of our lives. Please welcome Kate Tellers. Let me be me, let me rap, 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 rap that vision, it's a different map. Whipping down the last page, singing on a different track, they know it's a different path. Welcome, Kate, to Phoenix Tales. I always start the conversation off by asking one question, and the question is, has there been an event in your life, personal or professional, that was challenging that might have redirected the course of your life? Yeah, I'm going to give you the most obvious one. And that is when I was 28 years old, my mother passed away. And that was in and of itself, very sad. I was very close with my mother. She passed away from breast cancer. It had been 10 years since her diagnosis. She hadn't been sick the whole 10 years. But it was, I was 18. It was the day before I went away to college when she told me. So it kind of shaped who I was as an adult for those first 10 years, like just kind of waiting for the punch, like the tragedy that I knew would happen. And then it happened. And then that forced me to then think, what did I want my life to be? Like I'd kind of been spending 10 years in waiting and then I had to start to make choices. So this is obviously years ago. And I know breast cancer research has advanced slightly. Why did you have a sense that she was going to pass away eventually? Because you hear stories now that, you know, women beat breast cancer and they're survivors and they survive for decades on end. When it first happened, I didn't think she was going to, she downplayed it or if it wasn't that bad at first. But it was a reminder of, I spent the beginning, I went to college in Pittsburgh where I grew up and I had a question about whether I wanted to stay so close to home and it ended up being in some ways fortuitous because I wasn't far away. But, you know, I was visiting my mother in a hospital and she went through chemo, you know, she physically changed. And then she was fine. She went in remission and I think she even passed like the five-year mark, which is really important. And then metastasize and then she got on a trial and that added a few years. You know, so there was always like hanging there, even if for long amounts of time we could forget about it. It was like once the door was open, you know, it was my mom. I could never fully close it. I've had friends that have like casually been like, oh, my mom has cancer, you know, and like anyway, doody do. And I was never like that. When she ultimately died, it she went very quickly. You know, once like the doctor was like, it's not looking good, she went very fast. She just went from like healthy person swimming laps who happens to have cancer to like person that was no longer alive. And you said that this happened when you were 18 and it did inform the next decade of your life. Can you go back and think about the ways in which it shaped you, especially during those college years, right? It's a time in which most of us do a little bit of separation from our parents, trying to find ourselves, creating new boundaries with your parents. 
How did that shape that experience for you? I definitely had a full and rich and vibrant college experience where, you know, I lived on campus and I, you know, did all of the cliche or not cliche acts of self-discovery, lots of nudity, et cetera. (laughs) From the very beginning, it was like I'd be with my mom. and You know, like I remember she would cook dinner for my college friends and I was just like so proud of it and so proud to bring them home. But I think I was even prouder because I was like, I'm so happy that she's still so present in me and they can know her too. Versus if I was like, eh, it's my mom. But because there was always this, like, you're not going to have it forever, I like dialed up my relation to, to her in some way. Do you view that in hindsight as a gift? Because you're right. Most of us take our parents for granted <laughs> on some level, right? Those years can be years in which you act out and perhaps not have the greatest relationship with your parents, i.e. case in point would be me. Do you think that it gave you this ability to seize the moment because you knew that the clock was ticking. For sure. For sure. Yes. I think much of my adult relationship with my mother has like a beautiful silver lining of just presence because I was, first of all, my mother was cool as hell. When my parents divorced, my dad and my mother are both lovely people who loved each other dearly to the end. I cannot underscore that enough. But my mother did like sort of have a renaissance when my parents split and she moved into this apartment and she put all these like feminist literature on her bookshelves. You know, she was really living. She started dating this very eccentric man and going out dancing all night. And I never felt criticism from her. She delighted in me going to college. She delighted in all of the theater and the art and the just like joy and experimentation. I'm making myself sound far more interesting than I am. But you know what I mean? Like (laughs) all of that was very exciting to her. What I was running towards was kind of what she was running towards at, at the same time. So it wasn't hard to be present with her because we were in some ways in the same stage of life. My mother didn't go away to college. She lived at home with her Catholic mother and went to the all girls college associated with her all girls high school and married my father So when my parents divorced, what happened in those years following is that my mother was rebelling or doing this kind of same thing that I was in college. So we were in some ways like in similar stages of our lives and also feeling really like we only have now. We like vibrated in the same way, you know, at the same frequency to use a totally woo term. And I think we both felt that there may be a clock here, even though she was You would never look at her and think she was sick. You said that the end came rather quickly. Did you have the capacity or the ability to have those final moments with her? The doctor told her like in December, he said, uh, you should look forward to Christmas, but don't look forward to the 4th of July is the way he put it. So I came home for Christmas and, you know, it's really funny when you, I don't know if you've ever done this, but you've. This is so dark. But when you shop for Christmas gifts for someone who you know is going to die, and particularly who you know you're going to inherit things from, like I gave her... You're like, let me find the things I want. (laughs) No, I gave her like such shit for Christmas because it felt selfish to do that. Like to be like, here's some amazing earrings that I like. So I gave her like, I remember I gave her this like cloth wallet that I got for like $5 that... What's that? What was that place? Oh, shoot. I'm forgetting. Red River, Pearl River Mart. (laughs) It was like a $3 cloth thing. I was like, I know you like it, like aesthetically like it. You know, you don't need leather. You don't need to last. Anyway, but we had this like... I'm like, that is hilarious. (laughs) Very dark. dark. It is hilarious though. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'm wearing a pair of my mother's earrings today. I mean, I wear her clothes all the time. I'm very eco. (laughs) She dressed like everyone's favorite art teacher and I dress like everyone's favorite art teacher. So that's the way this 
But I would like be like, oh, mom, I love those earrings. And she'd be like, we'll take them. But it was very practical. It was like, we'll just take them now. (laughs) Less to carry out later. So anyway, but she was very like alive at Christmas. And I had this boyfriend at the time. One of the things he loved to do was like cook. I remember we had New Year's. He was a new boyfriend, but I was like, you got to come home now. Like I told him like on our like third date, my mom's going to die and you're going to stay with me and experience it or we can stop. And he stayed. I can still remember when he cooked us for New Year's Eve and sitting on New Year's Eve toasting and just looking at each other and being like, this is the last one. So let's really enjoy it and make it festive. And then she died January 26th. So much more quickly than we thought. He came back on the 24th, I think maybe 25th even. And I remember the last dinner she had, my mother's Lebanese and we ordered, her friend came over and brought us Lebanese food. And she ate like tabbouleh, which is not what you eat when your body's shutting down. And then I remember like passing around chocolates and she like almost mischievously took a chocolate and popped it in her mouth. Like I can eat dark chocolate now. The night that she died, she sort of like, and I can remember clear as day, she went in the bathroom and I could tell she could feel her body deteriorating. And I watched her like look in the mirror and basically decide to die. And she walked to her bed and she was like, call your sister. My sister was out like dealing with the car and she was like, and call the nurse. Like I'm out. Like she chose, she walked to her deathbed. So then we were like calling all these people on the phone and I was like, but it was kind of like a dinner party because, you know, I was like, come over and, and bring cheese and maybe a bottle of wine. And We all just like hung out in the living room of her place. And then we would go into her room two by two and she held court so people could say goodbye to her. And I remember she was making me so my mother was the best host, the best. And so people would come in, she's literally dying. And she'd be like, can I get you anything? I would stand at the door and just hand people cups. I'd be like, just hold this so that she thinks that you're being taken. Like, even if they didn't have a drink in their hand, I'd be like, will you just... When I finally went in to talk to her. Oh, at one point she was out of her bed and I came in and she was like pulling something out of her closet. And I was like, mom, what are you doing? And she was like, I have to pack. And I was like, mom, you don't need a suitcase where you're going. And so she just like nodded her head and got back in her bed. And then later I went in like for my goodbye. And it was this weird thing because, I mean, I think this is what we did well. Like I had nothing to tell her. Like there was no great confession. There was no, I love you. There was no, I wish that this wasn't happening. There was no, I wish we could do this together. You know, like we could both go together. There was no like, I'm so sad that you're never going to see me be, well, I didn't know I'd be a mother at that time, but you know, a mother, you're never going to see all of the great things that she's missed in those years. And I remember I told her that uh, Jess, who's my high school best friend, I was like, Jess is getting married in November. I got my bridesmaid's dress. It's green. It matches my eyes. Like, that's what I was telling my mom as she was dying. Because I had nothing else to tell her. But also, I think I wanted her to know that I had plans, like that I would be okay. That was my way of being like, I have a party to go to in 10 months, so I'm going to be okay. It's not at all how I expected like the last minutes with my mom to be, but that's what it was. And then she kind of hung out until her sister came. Her sister raced from Erie and like three hours away. People were planning on coming in the next day, but she went so fast. And then they came in and she died and we like hung out and told stories about her. And we got out this bottle of limoncello that we were only allowed to have on special occasions. And I was like, I think this counts. And (laughs) we drank that and went to bed. And the relationship you describe is beyond beautiful. And I'm sure there are many of us who are listening quite envious, right? That you had this incredibly adult and, I don't know, sympathetic relationship with your mother and you were able to have an ending with her that felt appropriate to the relationship. Did the grief at any point 
did you have like a delayed reaction in your grief or did the grief kind of come to you in waves or did it consume you immediately upon her death? I remember the next morning being like, like a little deer. Wow. What's the world like without a mom, you know, and like making coffee and being like, okay, me without a mom still knows how to make coffee. And then I remember like not knowing, like checking my email and my friend wrote to me, a college friend that I kept in like sporadic touch with. And I just typed like, hello, my mom died. And it was real, you know? And I remember in that moment, like waiting to sob and instead feeling like the way I've always described it is like feeling full, like feeling like, but we did it. Like we had a really good run. But then, no, I was a mess. You know, the thing I learned, like I'm some freaking expert on grief, but I, I think what I learned most about losing my mother, like the greatest grief I've ever experienced is that it's like so nonlinear. So I would be okay some days. And I certainly had, my sister and I are very close and became much closer in this. My father and I are very close and became much closer. My boyfriend was very good at that part of our relationship. And my mother had five siblings. You know, we just had such a community around us that we could fall apart over and over again. It would be okay. But it was weird because I also was doing comedy at the time in New York. So I remember like coming back and doing some shows, like just not know, because I never knew when it would come out and when I would feel sad and like, do I want to be a freaking, not that I was a clown at all. That wasn't my style of comedy. You're probably not surprised. But like going out to the bar that we always went to after the shows at this one theater and seeing, you know, there's like a scene. So seeing someone and he was like, hey, you haven't been around. Were you on tour? And I was like, should I just tell him I've been on tour? Because I don't want to suck the air out of this room right now and be like, oh, no, I've just been in like crippling grief because my mom died and I'm only 28 years old, you know? So I became a little bit reclusive in that because I was like so afraid of falling apart because I was falling apart. Oh, here's something weird that happened. Yes, tell us. So I had this boyfriend, as I've mentioned, and he had an apartment, a very nice apartment in uh, London Terrace, if you know that building in New York City. One thing I'll say about, he lived like two floors above Blondie. (laughs) I remember very early on in our dating, the doorman used to just wave me on. They knew who I was. And I think, you know, he felt so cool that whatever. But I remember once seeing them stop Blondie, (laughs) like she was rolling in with her laundry cart. And I was like, wow. I am so cool. Anyway, he had this beautiful apartment in this, you know, kind of historic building. But the neighbor, so I came home on the 20, you know, before my mom died and he missed it. He came home the day after and he was so sad. He he just really, really relished the role of being the person that could like take care of me through this thing. And he wasn't there on, you know, what was perhaps the hardest night. But that night his neighbor (laughs) came to him and lectured him because she was like, you and your girlfriend need to put a rug down. Like you're so loud, implying like when you're having sex. And Mike was like, that was her wailing because she was finding out her mom was dying. But that's what he was dealing with. (laughs) This is like so New York that like, he's like holding me as I'm like wailing about to fly home because my mom is dying. And then his neighbor's like, stop sexing so loud. (laughs) He's like, that's not what that was. (laughs) I want to go back to when you were talking about how grief is not linear. So now there's even greater time between your mother's passing and where you are today. Do you still find those moments where you turn a corner and the grief hits you like a gut punch? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's interesting. I did not marry that boyfriend. I married someone else and I now have two children with someone else. But when I was in my 20s, I didn't know that I would get married or I didn't know that I would have kids. In fact, I didn't actually seriously consider having kids until 
My mother was in the hospital the Thanksgiving before she died. And I was leaving her because I was doing a show in New York. I was like, I was like weeping because I was immature enough to think like if I show her how much I love her instead of if I show her how much this is hurting me. Anyway, I remember her saying, you girls are my greatest gift. And I was like, you could feel that from mother. I always thought children just sucked your identity out of you. I didn't realize that you could feel how central we were to her, which is so weird in hindsight. All of this is to say, in a way, I've sort of like shut off that she's never met my husband. I mean, I feel like she met my husband. He knows her so well because I tell stories about her all the time. And that like, I have the greatest kids, the greatest kids. And she would have been the greatest grandmother. But there are times when I will feel that absence and it will pummel me. My kids are very comfortable talking. They'll be like, your mom, they used to say, now they're a little older. Your mom died. And I'd be like, yes, my mom died. We recognize the her birthday. We recognize the anniversary of her death. It's weird to me and sad to me that they don't know her. And I have things like that I'm really proud of in my life. And there's always that like, there's someone I'm, I should be calling, you know, like who do I call when, you know, I do a really good show or when I freaking write a book, I wrote a book. Do you know what my mother would freaking think if she knew that I was, you know, in this like great creative collaboration and writing a book on storytelling with brilliant people involved in this gorgeous community? Like she would love that. Yeah, it comes back for sure. I wanted to ask, because apparently you're doing it serious ethnographic dive into Korean culture by watching every Korean show on Netflix. <laughs> and that's what my husband keeps teasing me because <laughs> I'm like, I'm learning so much about being Korean. But one of the beautiful takeaways that I've been able to experience, because that's not kind of our Western experience with death, is how they celebrate the person who has passed. They celebrate the day of their passing and they have this whole ritual where they set up food in front of whatever memorial the person is placed in or not. They open a bottle of liquor and they pour one for the person who's passed and they share a drink with each other, however many people are there. And it's this wonderful, incredible ritual of staying connected to that person who has passed. And I know culturally in our culture, that is not a norm and that is not something that our culture would even understand. But have you created different rituals for yourself? Oh, for sure. To kind of honor your mother? Yeah. I mean, first of all, my entire career to some degree, you can draw a direct line from the night that she died to where I am now. I realized as we were sitting on the floor and my aunt was telling me like the thing she told me that I love the most. She said, um, we always knew your mother loved you kids so much. She said all of the adults would be standing and she'd be rolling on the floor with you, which, <laughs> you know, it sticks with me to this day. It's, and I'm now, and that's who I am. I'm the mom that rolls on the floor with the kids. Like I mom so freaking hard because I have such respect for like the relationship that you can, and the form and the connection you can build with your children. It's not a punctuated ritual, but I tell stories about my mom and I'm really interested in the way that when you tell a story about someone, you bring them alive. That's the closest thing you can do to bringing them alive is you bring them to the forefront of your mind and anyone who's listening. And that's magic to me. And cut to, I've been at the moth for 13 years and my mom's been gone for 16. But I guess to answer your question, but like on the days, yeah, it's one of the things my husband cooks all of her Lebanese foods and he'll be the one on January 26th. My sister and her husband do the same thing. We send pictures back and forth. I show my kids pictures. Many of the guests that I've interviewed who talk about parental death being sort of the pivotal moment of their lives. And let me just say that this has been a recurring theme, so you're not alone. <laughs> um, and it doesn't really matter at what age they have lost a parent. It is still something that 
truly informs their life in some profound way. But because you were so young when she passed and then you became a mother, how has it informed you as a mother? Like, do you find yourself, two questions, wanting to do the things with your daughters that your mother didn't get to do with you, perhaps? Or do you feel as though you are mothering in a way to give them the same sense of fullness that you felt upon her death? I definitely do both. We bake together and I used to, my mother taught me how to bake. What my mother used to always do is she would always have us smell the vanilla and be like, doesn't it smell so good? And I did it with my daughter and son. I did it sort of instinctively with them the first time I cooked. And now like they're always like, when I open the vanilla, they're like, we smell the vanilla, we smell the vanilla. I just took it, like just plunked it from this memory I had in that life and into this one. She's present in the, certainly in the way that I parent my children. I am so invested in creating present moments with my kids. I just want to like imprint myself on their tiny brains. You know, I'm three years younger than my mom was when she was diagnosed. We are capable as parents of creating such an impact and like a lasting beyond our our death, a legacy of impact on our kids that I'm constantly going back in my memory and thinking of my mother and like using her as my moral compass. Did you find yourself holding your breath? Like you said, you had children a little later, but, you know, sort of thinking... What if the same thing were to happen to me, especially after having your children? When I make it past 57 is when my mom died. The party I will throw at 58 is going to be epic. If I make it to 57, I think my daughter will be maybe 18, which would be kind of weird symmetry since that's how old I was when my mother was diagnosed. I think there's a piece of my mind that believes that I will only live as long as she did. And that's one of the reasons that I live in the way that I do with them. So let's go back to how you said that you could draw a line from her death to your career as a storyteller. Can you extrapolate that a little bit more for us in terms of, I know that like most families, you sit around and tell stories, right? Yeah. So can you extrapolate what that journey was like for you and how her death really kind of perhaps pivoted your career in terms of performing other people's stories as opposed to telling your own story. To me, stories are like prayer. Like, of course you tell them over and over. You know, it's prayer to some degree. So my mother passed away and I think it started me on a quest that I don't think I was cognizant that I was on. But when she died, I was doing like comedy and theater and I was working a day job that I sort of hated. And I heard a moth story on This American Life. And the moth is a storytelling organization where people tell true stories from their lives. And I went to a live event and um, three stories in, I was like, oh, this is what I've been looking for. I didn't even realize I was looking for this, but it was this combination of theater and that there was like someone on stage that was engaging an audience, but it was this like communal shared experience for one, like everyone was breathing at exactly the same frequency, you know, it just felt collective. I wrote a really bad cover letter to the moth, but they let me (laughs) come and volunteer for free. And then I was the podcast intern. This is before the Moth Podcast was anything. And then I just freaking stuck around. And I was like, you will love me. <laughs> and they did. <laughs> and I, I've had like every job now. You know, we were much smaller when I started. I was officially hired, I think, 2007, 2008. We're very different then than we are now. I've told a Moth story about my mother passing away. And I've heard that the process of creating that like was like so good for me. You know, the, you know, Juliana, because you've done this with me, but like sometimes the, just it's not even about the final story. It's about sitting and thinking about your experiences and like holding them up to the light and being like, 
what did this actually mean to me? Or how is this similar to something else in my life? Or do I see this differently now that I've lived, you know, I've had another experience, et cetera. So it was really great. It's just always been, I think, a part of me culturally. But I think losing my mother gave me the sort of why for that. The Mexican tradition of Dia de las Muertes, they have the three deaths. And the final death is when the last time someone says your name. So I don't want to stop saying the people who we care about names. So as a storyteller, and I'm drawn to stories as well, do you sometimes, and I think you said this about wanting to kind of savor every experience with your mother during those 10 years. Yeah. Do you ever sometimes find yourself as the observer? It's almost like I want to remember this moment so profoundly that there's this weird thing where I step, almost step out of the experience to be able to observe it, right? And to be able to hold that memory. Do you think that you've experienced that? And when you think about it, do you think that that in some ways is counterintuitive to this idea of being present, that you're more observing than being present? I'm going to say yes to the first part and maybe yes to the second part. Like, yes, 100%. I can feel myself experiencing something and being like, this is a story that I will remember and tell time and time again. But I also think that like nothing has meaning and everything has meaning. Like one of the ways in which moments have meaning is the way that they're remembered and re-remembered. So it's almost like taking the time to imprint that memory on me, like remembering how my daughter's hair curled up so much when we were at this beach in Puerto Rico, like maybe I was stepping outside of myself, like taking in that memory, but also that memory comes back to me time and time again and just takes me to such a specific space in a specific time on this trip that we took that we'll never forget. You know, like, I don't know if I can extract the two from each other. And you don't find that that deters you from fully being present in the moment, right? No, I'm trying to have like a hyper presence. I don't know. I mean, maybe I don't know how to be present. That's the other question. <laughs> I don't think any of us do. Like, like maybe, maybe I need to do some deeper work on myself. I'm not great at being still and it's a way that keeps me still. Can you explain that? I am rarely ever doing one thing. But I think in the moments that I feel everything is in a story-worthy moment, I'm so cognizant of being still. Like literally like, Kate, remember this, remember this. Remember that. So I think having story brain forces me to laser focus in a way that otherwise it's like, well, I could be, you know, on the subway and also rescheduling my appointment with my dermatologist while I'm listening to a podcast and like looking out the window and remembering the time I went on a date at that restaurant. I love the snapshot into (laughs) your brain, Kate. Can you tell us about this moth book that you made reference to? Yeah, totally. So this is the Moss fourth book. The first three were compilations of some of our favorite stories. And this is a how-to book. It's called How to Tell a Story, The Essential Guide to Memorable Storytelling from the Moss. It's written by me and four other members of the creative team who I've been working with. We just sat for the last two and a half years and just brain dumped the way we craft stories with people. So like what makes a good story, story prompts, here's what you consider after you've considered this piece. Ultimately, what we have is a book to help you tell your own stories. But we also talk about the way story plays into toasts, the way stories play into eulogy, how you talk about people who have died, the way we tell stories with family, telling stories in business, telling stories for advocacy, you know, like all of the different ways that story shows up in our lives. And it comes out on April 26th. Oh, wonderful. This brings us to the last question, which is if there's one song that resonates with you or feels as though it describes your life in some way, 
what would that song be? Oh gosh, (laughs) I have like the two of the most ridiculous, like polar opposite songs. So the first one is I can like go into a trance with Sarah Vaughn's version of Send in the Clowns, which is like, it doesn't at all, it's a terrible answer, delete, because it's not at all about my, (laughs) I don't, I don't feel like thematically, there's something about like, if I want to get sucked into a song, the way she delivers that gorgeous, beautiful, bittersweet song is so amazing. And I think the true nature of life is that you can have great beauty and great sadness that kind of sit aside each other. So maybe that is a bigger metaphor for my life. Can I ask that question? Um, if you could find a song that describes your mom or perhaps a part of her life, what would that song be? The Barbara Streisand version of The Shadow of Your Smile. But my mother had a really, she had a huge smile. She just left your, her mark on you. She was the one at a party that found the quiet person in the corner and you would find them like laughing with their heads flung back 10 minutes later, you know, she left a mark. That's beautiful. Thank you, Kate, for doing this. How can people find you? And can you tell us the title of your book? Yes. So the title of the book is How to Tell a Story, The Essential Guide to Memorable Storytelling from the Moth. You can find it in print or the audio book is actually read by the authors and then includes live story excerpts of all the stories that we mentioned. So it's like, If you listen to our radio hour, it's like a multi-hour radio hour. It's really beautiful. I can be found at at the Kate Tellers on Instagram. I'm not going to post a ton, but I will respond to messages. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Phoenix Tales, a show about women overcoming challenges and like the Phoenix to be reborn, their lives reimagined. Make sure to tune in to our next episode to hear another inspired story. I am Yuliana Kim Grant. The show is edited by Podigy. Music is by Ryan Pruitt. It's like a dream, so let me never wake up. I was so hung up on myself, just like a stick in the mud. A little time, a little patience when I got tired of waiting. Then I found that gem within me sticking out of the mud. And they gon' ask me why I do it, I'ma say this because. We gon' be the best on earth, just like we be out in rust. Pass behind me like a book bag, hanging down a coat rack. Focused on the future, not that coulda, shoulda, would have. Feeling like I should.